Well, good morning. Um, this fall, there are about, uh, how many students are going through Rooted? Okay, so there are about 110 people that are going through Rooted this fall, uh, middle school, high school, and uh, the big people. And uh, this last week, um, in week four, they did week four in the Rooted Guide. They discussed it last Tuesday night. It's all about experiencing God in the midst of suffering. And uh, the first devotional in week four asked some questions like this. It was about the reality of hardship and suffering. And uh, asked these questions. If this is God's world, why is there so much pain and suffering? If God is a loving Father, why do horrible things happen all around the world and in our lives? These are good questions. We ask these sometimes, right? So much of why life is hard is simply because we live in a world that is broken, right? Sin has corrupted the world, and it just doesn't function the way that God originally designed this world to, to function. Thankfully, as we've seen over the last three weeks, even in the midst of those difficulties, when life is hard, we can still experience God. We can experience God by uh, seeking wisdom, by worshiping Him, by, um, by remembering His benefits, the things that He has done in our lives. And when we experience God in the midst of difficulties, it makes all the difference in the world, right? What about times when life is hard for a different reason? What about when life is hard, not just because the world is broken, but because of our own sin? What about those times and expectations of experiencing God? You've lost a friendship because of your anger. Your marriage is in a really tough place because of your own selfishness. You're in a difficult financial situation because of decisions you've made out of greed. Can you still expect to experience God when you're in a hard place because of your own sin? I think sometimes we think we can't. I mean, or at least maybe not much, right? Or at least we can't experience them until we sort of earn our way back, until we sort of have a track record of doing well again. Then maybe we can have an expectation of experiencing God. Today we're looking at Psalm 106, and uh, it would suggest that even in the midst of experiencing hard things because of our own sin, we can still experience God. We have the hope of experiencing God, even when we're a mess because of our own doing. We're looking at Psalm 106 today. This is the last in our sermon series on experiencing God when life is hard. Psalm 106 is the last of the Psalms in book four, which uh, Steve has described as a, a collection of books. This is Psalm 90 uh, through one, or collection of uh, Psalms, Psalm 90 through 106 that were written and collected for the people of God while she was in exile. Because of the nation's sin, life was hard. They had rebelled, right? I mean, over and over again, they disobeyed God. They refused to obey God. And he sent prophet after prophet to call them back. And yet, they, they just continued to walk in their sin. And eventually, God uh, allowed the Babylonian, uh, Babylonians to come in, defeat Jerusalem, carry Judah off into exile into Babylon. And so this is the setting. This was, that was in 586 B.C. that they were carried off. And this psalm is for them and it's for us. And it speaks hope for people of God in that situation, in exile. And it speaks hope for us who find that life is hard because of our own mistakes, our own wandering away from God. And so let's look at this psalm. 
There's 48 verses, so time doesn't allow us to read everyone and comment on all of those, but I want to kind of talk our way through it to give us a good picture of what's going on in this psalm. The psalmist begins with a call to praise God. He writes, praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Even in exile, they're called to praise, called on to praise God. Why? Because He's still good. Because His steadfast love still endures forever. And that's what the history of God's dealings with His people is going to reveal in this psalm. And that's why there's hope, because of who God is, because of His character. Hope is rooted in the character and nature of God. In verse 4, the psalmist makes this request. He prays, remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them. Because of God's goodness, because of God's steadfast love, the psalmist believes that God will show favor to his people, that he will save them. But the psalmist is not just looking for like national salvation. He's saying, God, save me too. Remember me. And, and God does that, right? He remembers the individual as well as the nation. In verse 6, the psalmist prays something that makes sense if you're in a difficult situation because of your own sin. He offers confession. He prays this. He says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. And so the history that he's going to recount in the psalm will demonstrate how they just over and over and over sinned, the nation of Israel. But he's not just confessing the father's sin, the ancestor's sin. He's confessing the current people of God, the ones living in exile, that they have sinned. We have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. If life is difficult because of your own sin, this is the place to start, owning your sin. Don't explain it away. Don't ignore it. Be honest with God. Talk to Him about it. Confess it. The pathway to experiencing God is through confession and repentance. Verse 7, then, the psalmist begins to recount this, this history. And uh, what he's going to present in verses 7 through 39 are, are, are episodes from different eras in, in Israel's history. So he'll talk about when they were still in Egypt, then he'll talk about when they were in the wilderness, and then he'll talk about when they were in Egypt. And uh, in each of these eras, he presents some episodes. They're not necessarily chronological order, but uh, we see pretty clearly uh, Israel's continued uh, sin and how God continues to be faithful. And so first, he talks about when they were still in Egypt. In verse 7, it says this, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. So when he's talking about they didn't consider your wondrous works, he's talking about all the, 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 the plagues, the judgments that God brought on Egypt to, to force them to set his people free. So they didn't consider those wondrous works. They didn't remember your abundance the abundance of your steadfast love, but they re rebelled by the sea. And so they, God had set them free, and they're at the Red Sea, and here comes Pharaoh's armies, right? And uh, instead of believing that God would deliver them, they didn't believe. They disbelieved, and they, they cried out in fear because, that because of uh, Pharaoh's armies coming. So they sinned, disbelief. And yet when you go on in verses 8 through 12, it talks about how God saved them for his name's sake. He parted the waters. They walked through on dry ground, and when they got to the other side and Pharaoh's armies 
followed after them. God caused the, the waters to cover them, and Pharaoh's army was destroyed. In verse 12, it says, when Israel saw this deliverance, they believed his words and they sang his praise. They believed. And you would think, right, after seeing all of the, the, what God did to deliver them from Egypt, parting of the waters, walking through on dry land, that they would always remember to believe. But look at the very next verse. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. In verses 13 through 15, he, he begins to talk about episodes from their time in the, in the wilderness. In, this, this, in 13 through 15, he talks about how they grew discontent with the provision of manna. God was providing food for them every single morning. He was providing for them, but they, they didn't think it was enough. They grew discontent and they complained. You read about this in Numbers eleven eighteen. They said this, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. Well off in Egypt? Seriously? With the slavery that they were experiencing there? And so there's this kind of uh, uh, you know, complaining, and God's not doing enough. And as a result, God sent judgment for their sin. Verses 16 through 18, there's a sin of jealousy. The, the psalmist recounts number 16 when Moses rose, uh, when they rose, some men rose up to challenge Moses' authority. They basically say, who put you in authority over us? You know, you're not the boss of me kind of thing. Um, and of course, God gave Moses his authority. God called Moses. In response to their sin, God caused the ground to open up under those who were rising up in, in jealousy against Moses' leadership, and, and it swallowed them up. In verses 19 to 23, the psalmist recounts one of the most grievous situations in Israel's history. This is the account from Exodus 32. If you're doing the daily readings, uh, this is what we read on, on Monday. It's a, the episode with the, the golden calf, right? Moses had gone up to the mountain to, uh, to meet with God. He was up there for 40 days, 40 nights. And eventually the people say to Aaron, Moses' brother, we, we don't know what happened to this man, Moses. It uh, doesn't seem like he's coming back. Make us a God who will be the one that we follow. And so uh, we read this in verses 19. It says, They made a calf in Horeb, and they worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 1. They had God, creator God, deliverer God is the one who was, who was leading them, and they exchanged that for an image of something that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. And they commit idolatry. They exchange the glory of God for that image. And if not for Moses' pleading with God to not destroy them, they would have been destroyed. In verses 24 through 27, the psalmist next talks about when they're standing on the edge of the promised land. They're ready to go in. It says in verse 24, Then they despise the pleasant land having no faith in his promise. God had promised, I'm giving you this land. God had promised, I'm going to drive out the nations before you. But when the spies came out and gave a bad report, they were fearful. They didn't believe God's promise. They didn't believe. Even all, after all that they had seen, they didn't believe. And as a result, God made them wander for 40 years in the wilderness. 
Verse 28, you read about how they took wives from the nation of Moab. Now, this is from Numbers 23. In defiance of what God has said, God has said, don't intermarry with the, the nations around you. But in defiance of that, they did. And they began to worship Moab's gods. They committed apostasy and idolatry as a result of this intermarrying. As you come to verse 34, uh, now the psalmist is talking about an episode in the land where they essentially do the same thing. They, they uh, mingle and, and mix with the nations. In Deuteronomy 20, God had told them as they, they go into the land that they were to destroy all the people of the land, but they failed to do what the Lord commanded. And as a result, in verse 35, we read this. But they mixed with the nations, and they learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. We may wonder why God would want his people to destroy the people in the land. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a difficult question. It's hard, right? But you get a sense of that here. These are people that pr practice child sacrifice. Israel did not obey that command. They mixed with the nations. They learned to do as they did. They began to worship their idols, and part of what they did is they sacrificed. I mean, child sacrificed their own sons and their own daughters. Kind of a depressing history, right? Kind of a depressing history. A history of sin, of unbelief, of discontent, jealousy, idolatry, and apostasy. Israel repeatedly forgot God and they sinned. And yet, and yet, God was never done with them because He is good and His loving kindness endures forever. He's a God who remembers His covenant and He continued to save them. And so in verses 43 through 45, we read this, this kind of summary statement. Many times He delivered them but they were rebellious in their purposes. They were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For, th for their sake, he remembered his covenant. And he relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Life was often difficult for Israel because of her sin. And yet Israel's history demonstrates that even then, there's still hope because of who God is. He remembers his covenant. And so with that history, that long, depressing history, the psalmist, knowing that the people of God who now dwell in exile in Babylon because of their sin, he makes a request. And he prays this, save us, O Lord our God. Gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. The psalmist has real hope that God will do something in their situation because of God's track record of faithfulness to the land, even when they've been, they've been sinful. And so he boldly asks, save us, O Lord our God. Bring us back to the land. There's hope, not because of their obedience, not because of their faithfulness, but because of God's character. He's good. His loving kindness endures forever. He remembers his covenant. And so here's the point for us. Here's a point for us. Life may be hard for you right now because of your sin, 
because of your own failure to follow God, there's still hope that you can experience God. You can still call out to Him for help. There's hope because of who God is. Now, certainly as you read Israel's history, we know there are real consequences for sin. Um, God doesn't always take away the consequences. Uh, Galatians 6, 7 says we reap what we sow. And yet this psalm illustrates what the Bible teaches over and over again, that God is a God of grace and mercy. And because of that, there is hope that God will restore. There is hope that God will save, that God will rescue us from the mess that we've made because of our own sin. As believers in Jesus Christ, our hope is that God relates to us out of the new covenant, the gospel established through Jesus' blood. When we take communion, Jesus said, you know, this is the covenant uh, in, in my blood, right? He established a new covenant, and God will now deal with believers on the basis of what he's done for us in Christ. He came and lived a perfect life. He paid an atoning sacrifice for our sin. He rose up to new life as victory over sin and death. When anyone places their faith in Jesus, you're forgiven for all of your sins, past, present, and future. God makes you his child. He places his spirit within you. The Lord's Supper reminds us that God now relates to us in light of this new relationship with him, the relationship we have through Christ. And so maybe you're in a hard place because of your sin. Know that God is going to relate to you based on what he has done for you in Christ. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in other words, we've been given a right standing before God because of what Jesus did on the cross, because that's true, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because of what Jesus has accomplished in his death and resurrection and through your faith in him you have peace with God you have access into this grace in which we stand God loves you God is for you still even in your sin if you will only confess your sin, repent. In other words, turn around and, and go the other way. You will find that God is the father and the prodigal son with arms always wide open, waiting for us to return. And yes, there may be hard things that he will allow to stay in your life because of your sin, but he will be there to strengthen you, to give you wisdom, to give you grace, to walk with you through the mess that your sin has made. He will be with you. And so today... As we come to the Lord's table, as we remember Jesus' sacrifice for our sin, if you're in a difficult spot for your own sin, because of your own sin, the place to start is to confess. That's the invitation today. Return to God. Confess and look to Him, knowing that He is faithful. He will deal with you on the basis of, of what He's done in Christ. And so this is the invitation this morning. Be honest with God about your sin. Talk with Him about it in these moments. So often when we have strayed, so often when we sin, we think the way to get back into right standing with God is we have to earn it. We, we need a track record of walking with him again. No, we just come to him with nothing and, and look for his grace. You cannot earn it. It's gift. It's grace. You're right standing with God. 
And so that's my encouragement today as we celebrate communion. If there's sin to confess, confess it. And if you're here today and, and the walk, your walk with God is, you know, you're, you're, we all struggle with sin, but if there's not that kind of rebellion, just thank God during this moment of what he's done for you in Christ, his grace and mercy that continues, the hope that we can always experience him. If you've never trusted Christ for forgiveness, you have the hope of experiencing God as well. No one has ever wandered too far. No one has ever done too many bad things that you cannot come to God, that he will not accept you, that he will not forgive you. But you do need to turn to him. You do need to humble yourself. You do need to call out to him in faith. You do need to admit your sin and ask for forgiveness. And when you do that, he shows up. And based on what Christ did on the cross, he will forgive you all your sin, past, present, future. He will make you his child. He will place his spirit within you. And he will begin to transform your life. If you've never trusted Jesus, my invitation to you today as we celebrate communion is in this moment, trust him, believe, call out to him in faith that God would save you. At faith, we invite all who have confessed Jesus as our Savior to join us in the celebration. You may just be a guest here. You don't have to be a member, a regular attender. If you have believed in Jesus, we would love for you to join us. In a moment, we will take the bread, and after reading Scripture, we'll eat together, and then we'll read another Scripture and drink the juice. I do want to, I'm going to pray to start, and I want to give you some time just to reflect, to pray, to talk with God about whatever he's laid on your heart in these moments. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, how you reveal yourself in, in psalms like this. God, you are good. You are a God of steadfast, loyal, faithful love, even when we're not. God, in these moments, uh, show us if there's ways that we've strayed, if there's ways we've wandered away. God, help us to give an honest confession to you. And so we invite your spirit to search our heart now. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness that we experience through him. We pray that in these moments we'd have a fresh sense of what you've done for us in Christ. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his life, death, resurrection, and all that we experience because of that. God, thank you that we have peace with you, that we have access, we stand in grace because of Christ. As we walk into this week, God, help us to seek you, help us to pursue you, help us to turn from our sin. Thank you that even when we do rebel against you, God, that we have hope of continuing to experience you in the midst of difficulties because of who you are, because of your character, because of your faithful love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.